Elliot Boogie? <laughs> oh my god, I love it. Okay, I'm going to bed. So in our ongoing efforts to satisfy everybody, or at least try, Elliot, this is 31 Thoughts, the podcast presented by the GMC Sierra AT4. Now, our podcasts usually come out Monday and Thursday slash Friday. Uh, of recent note, it's been news and rumors and expansion draft and NHL draft and free agency. We put out the podcast. I don't want to say it's our podcast. It was Luke Prokop's podcast on Monday, and we wanted to keep it as Luke Prokop heavy as possible. It was his day. It was his day. We didn't want to put out two podcasts. Okay, here's a news podcast and here's Luke's podcast. We just want it to be about him. And we thank everybody for the feedback. It's been real nice. And again, you know, really happy uh, for Luke and his family as well. But this is the other podcast of the early week for 31 Thoughts the Pod. Uh, this is news. This is rumors. And this is Crazy Town, Montreal, <laughs> Carrie Price and everybody else. Elliot, as we record this podcast, Monday night, 11.07 p.m., what is the latest with Carrie Price and Seattle? I think the Kraken are considering it. I think they have, obviously, I don't know if it's signed, but for all intents and purposes, they have a deal with Chris Drieger, three times 3.5, and he's going to be their pick from Florida. The price thing is still there. Like something happened between Ron Francis and Mark Bergevin. And, you know, they're both pretty secretive guys. They like to keep their cards close to the vest. And I don't know if we'll ever get a definitive answer as to what kind of went down in their conversations. Yeah. But something happened there. And I believe the ask for Allen to not take him was a second in a prospect. And Bergman said no, and he explored trading him, but he didn't want to do that. Like, I think what Montreal's plan was, was that Carey Price really liked working with Jake Allen, and next year was going to be like a regular season split. Now, maybe it wasn't going to exactly be 41 and 41, but I think what the Montreal Canadiens were thinking about was a situation where Carey Price became sort of the 1A in the regular season played less games than he ever did, and therefore he was raring to go for the playoffs. I believe that was the plan. Like, I don't know if it was 41 41 or it was, you know, 47 35 or whatever it was going to be, but they were trying to mold into a situation where they would share the job, kind of, right? And then Price would be ready for the playoffs. And Price was signing off on that. He liked that idea. And I don't know what happened in their negotiations here, but there's sounds like there's a little bit of bad blood from the conversations. And Montreal tried this move. And I think Seattle knew it was possible, but I don't think they really believed it was going to happen. And now the reaction that from outside in terms of when anyone asked Seattle about it is, how can we not seriously consider this? And now the reports have come out and, you know, like it's a knee potential surgery and it's not supposed to be that bad. And now but people are saying, well, you never know, like when they get in there, it could turn out to be worse. Mm -hmm. And I kind of wonder if Montreal's regretting this, to be honest. And, you know, Seattle's looking at it like, well, you know, maybe he was hurt, but look at the way he played in the playoffs. 
he took them within three wins of the Stanley Cup. And I just think that Seattle, you can't not do a deep dive. And they're trying to find out the medical and they're trying to get to the bottom of this. But the one thing, Jeff, we haven't heard is what Carey Price thinks. Because there's two schools of thought right now. One, that he did the Canadians a favor and they didn't think that he thought that this was actually going to happen. But two, you also have to think that on some level, he knew it could happen and he was at least comfortable with the idea. See, that's my question here. Is it possible that Carey Price is just cool with going? Is it possible that Carey Price offered this to the Montreal Canadiens with the thought that I'm okay to go to Seattle? That this is more than... Because right now what this looks like to me is a, a game of hockey chicken. Or it's hockey's equivalent of the closing scene in Reservoir Dogs where everyone's daring each other to do something here. That's what it looks and feels like to me, Elliot. And maybe this is just, you know, Occam's razor and, you know, the easiest explanation. God, I feel bad for the guy who's Chris Penn. <laughs> uh, you feel bad for the guy who's, uh, who's getting his ear cut off in the chair. <laughs> maybe there's the easiest explanation is just that Carey Price is cool going. Like, is that just possible here? And we're overthinking this thing like, oh, strategically Montreal has placed Carey Price here saying, thinking that Seattle won't take him as a way to protect Jake Allen. Could Carey Price maybe just want to go? That's why we have to wait. Like, I don't like putting words in other people's mouths. I've been asking that question a lot over the last day. You know, I, I wrote Sunday night, a blog. Yep. And then the question I spent most of Monday asking people was, does Carey Price want to go? And I think that it's impossible to say on some level that he's not comfortable with it. But I really do believe that they also had a plan. And Price liked the plan, which was, you know what? You're not going to play 60 games anymore. You're going to play what 45 maybe 50 and you're going to be sharp for the postseason and they believed in Allen they said that this is a guy who was big for us this year and he can be big for us again next year so the person who knows that I know who I think had the best intel he said that that was absolutely part of the decision making process but the other thing that everybody said was price had to sign off on this he had to know on some level it was possible. And, you know, I think that he's made it very clear that he's locking the no move clause back in should he be picked yeah. by Seattle. I, I really wonder if Montreal really thought they would claim him. Here's why I ask the question or wonder about Carey Price's desire to be a member of the Seattle Kraken here. A, that's a very bold gesture to waive the no-move clause and expose yourself. Mm -hmm. And I would almost say that if you don't think, like, first of all, if, I'm trying to put myself in Carrie Price's mind. If I want to remain a Montreal Canadian, mm -hmm. and I know that I want to keep Jake Allen here too, is this too much risk for me? Like, the thing that I come back to here is, 
if this is Carey Price saying, ah, I'm going to try this and maybe I get picked up by Seattle and oh well, that's a pretty frivolous way to treat your career. And I've never, ever for a second thought that Carey Price was frivolous about his career. But to put yourself in this situation, there's an element of being frivolous with your career unless he actually has a desire to go. Or he's comfortable with it. Hmm. So when I wrote the, the blog Sunday night that, that Seattle was seriously considering it, I had a couple people in the league text me. He says, you think that Seattle's really thinking about it? And I go, yeah. And they were surprised. And, you know, I called them. I said, why are you guys surprised? And they said, look, analytically driven organization, it's not a good analytic bet. Like they could see why Montreal would make that bet. They thought it was a little reckless. They kind of joked it was kind of very Bergevin, like just put yourself out there, put your guts on the table and say, beat this hand. But they said that if they were looking at it critically, Seattle is the kind of organization that you would look at and say, they're not doing that. Like, I think you doubt Carey Price at your peril, but if you believe in aging curves, you're not taking this bet. And And they think that's what Montreal thought. Here's what I wonder about. When people say, I think Seattle believes this, or this is what I think Seattle thinks. Mm -hmm. Are you talking about Seattle hockey ops or Seattle marketing? I think it's both. Or Seattle ownership. Yeah, but the thing is, like, Ron Francis walked away from Carolina because he couldn't get along with ownership there. He's a pretty Mm -hmm. principled guy, right? Yes, he is. I don't think he's going in there without some understanding of the separation between church and state. That's how all going to work. Right. From what I understand, like he goes to a lot of their business meetings. He goes to a lot of their like just overall business plan meetings because he feels it's important to understand the way that part of the organization thinks. And he knows how they all feel. People are like, Oh, are they going to pay him $11 million bonus? They just spent 650 million on a team. Like 11 million now is like a cheese sandwich, basically. <laughs> so, like you know, they're looking at this and they're saying, like, they know Carey Price is the face of the organization. That is a huge W for them. Now, what I think they're trying to get to the bottom to of is the injury stuff. What does this mean? And as some teams said to me at the beginning, they would say, "No way, we do this." And some of them still said they wouldn't do it. But the thing is, like, if you get a chance to see his records, you're supposed to be told what the injuries are. And, you know, some people said, like, I was talking to them about this Allen Price thing today. If you think Drieger can be your Jake Allen and you can adopt that plan Mm -hmm. where Price comes back, if he has his surgery, he's out for the middle of the year and then comes back and he's rested to play, it's not a bad bet. What in theory is supposed to be the weakest division in the NHL next year? Pacific. In theory, the Pacific is supposed to be the weakest. So, like I said, I think it's very real. They have to have their submissions to the league by 10 a.m. Eastern on Wednesday. It's poker time. Do you think that in Mark Bergevin's mind, he sees this as a challenge to Seattle? Here, here's how it look. Here's how it sounds to me. Yeah, haggling over the price for Jake Allen, mm-hmm. too expensive, can't do it. Conversations get emotional. These prices are outrageous. 
This is in the spirit of cooperation amongst general managers. What does Berkey always call them? Oh, the pirates are gone. There's no pirates left in the game and all the pirates are gone. You know, the guys where when you, you shake their hand, you have to count your fingers afterwards, right? Um, the old Cliff Fletcher types, right? Oh, you got to win a trade. It's the spirit of cooperation now amongst general managers. Do you think that that is just an emotional event, one that got carried away and now it's gone too far? It's possible. You know, look at the timeline. The news gets out that he's exposed and then a day later comes out the injury stuff. Yeah. Like to a lot of people, that kind of fits that way, right? Yeah. Now, the bottom line is if they select price, there's a chance you've basically traded carry price for nothing. Do you believe that that's what Montreal wanted to do? Do you think Montreal can sell? Well, now we've got 10.5 million in cap space that we didn't have before. That's a goaltender that just took him to the Stanley Cup final. So the only way that you can sell that is if watch, there's two ways. Watch what we do with this money or he wanted to go. I'm wondering if the Canadians are like, boy, this kind of went farther than we thought it was going to go. <laughs> but, we'll, you know, we'll see. We'll see how this plays out. It is such a fascinating story. And that's only one of the parts right now with the Montreal Canadiens. We talked a lot about Shea Weber last week. And we won't know that one until he no. shows up for his preseason physical. That's when the NHL will roll. Uh, what about Philip Deneau? Anytime there's a center out there, the first team I think of is Columbus. Mm -hmm. Like he's a center, right? And he's but, a good one. Yep. Not as much a scorer, but he's, he's a, a good. No, he's, he's a, a he's a sulky center. He's a sulky candidate. Center. You're always gonna you're always gonna find room for those guys. Yeah. Okay, let's pause on the Habs conversation right now and move this into the Colorado Avalanche. So last podcast, we talked plenty about Gabriel Landeskog. And just to be blunt, Elliot, Colorado fans, and I understand why, are more than a little bit panicked right now. Yeah. Are feeling a little nervous and a little bit anxious about their squad. What's happening now? Well, you know, I think... I think this is actually a good time for Colorado because the one thing that happens is, you know, Landis Gog obviously can negotiate with Seattle, but I think everybody there kind of needed a timeout. And the one thing is, is that Joe Sackick, and this is what I was reminded of when I was kind of listening to what we talked about with Colorado. And I wish I would have said a bit more of this. Sackick, he outweighed everyone on the Duchesne deal. Do you remember how much inten how intense the scrutiny was and how intense the pressure was? You got to make the deal. You got to make the deal. And he outweighed everyone to make a, gr a great deal for the team. Yes. Well, that's where we are right now. I think he's just saying, okay, I have a plan. And I really believe that this is the move I'm going to make. And I'm going to go to a certain point and I'm not going farther than that because I just don't think it's right for my team. And I think in the middle of this maelstrom, and I know their fans are, are wired right now, Sackick is like, nope, I'm going to stay calm, and I've got a plan. So 
I do think that assuming Landeskog doesn't sign in Seattle, and I don't think that's going to happen. I could always be wrong. I don't think so. But I think they're going to take one more shot at this. And the one thing that I've heard is that if the ask from Landeskog is like, for argument's sake, $60 million, I just don't think it's going to get done there. But I do think if there's some creativity on both sides, I think they're going to try. I do think Colorado wants him back. Obviously, he wants to stay there. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked a lot about the emotion that got into it. I think everybody's going to try to take, barring him signing in Seattle, I think everybody takes a deep breath over this three-day span and they take one more run at it. See, I believe there's a $60 million contract out there for Gabriel Landeskog. I don't think it's from Colorado, but I think that deal is out there. I can't see Colorado going to that number. No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. I can't see that being with Colorado, but I think that deal is out there in the NHL for Gabriel Landeskog. Mm-hmm. But if Landeskog is, you know, married to the market, team that drafted him, captain, you know, youngest, etc., what he's been through, how close Colorado is, competitively, this is one of the top teams in the NHL. Where does the team need to bend and where does Landeskog need to bend? Because we talk, we spent a lot of time talking about term and how Landeskog wants eight or at worst case scenario seven, and that's not what Colorado wants. You can negotiate well, you can negotiate the money, but the term to me seems to be the big hold up here. It's tough for me to answer that one, Jeff, because like we talked a lot about this last week. And in the words of one person, like we poured gasoline on the fire. So I think everybody <laughs> wants us to kind of calm down. Like, like I, I do think that what people feel is the best thing to happen there is to lower the temperature a few degrees. Like yeah. maybe the water doesn't have to be boiling. Maybe it can be like a moderate simmer. <laughs> so this, 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 one- ro- this roster freeze right now is perfectly timed. Well, the one thing that people said that we were totally right about was the emotion is now in it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how Colorado feels. I don't know if they feel that he's right to feel that way or he's wrong to feel that way. I just think that everybody feels there that in order to take one more run, they have to take the emotion out of it. And I think both sides want to take another run. It's just that you have to calm it down. You know, in in situations like this in, I mean, we see this often when there's like CBA negotiations Mm -hmm. and what is the strategy when you need the temperature to calm down, get new people in the room, right? It was always get rid of the two main people, bring in people underneath them and let them take over because there's too much emotion. I think this one is take a timeout. That's what I'm saying. Like, So what's the strategy then? If, because if, if ultimately you're coming back with the same people, will you not eventually just end up with the same discussion? Like I said, I think if the number is 60, I don't think it gets done in Colorado. I think Colorado has got a limit. I don't know what that limit's going to be. And I just think they're going to see how they get to the, the number. Uh, a few more things to get through here today. Um, the Barkley Goodrow contract, a uh, six-year deal. It is uh, an AAV of $3.6 million. We should give credit to Frank Saravelli who got that one out first. 100%. Well done, Frank. Heard you on his podcast with Gregor the other day. Well done. Yeah. Thank you. Very nice podcast. Just me, or does it seem like 
we should expect more similar moves like this from the Rangers at the expense of players like Pavel Bushnevich. We're going for a little more toughness over skill. Yeah, well, I think that's true. Like, you know, look look at the narrative that came out when the when the coaching change came and the GM change came was that they were too easy to play against and and that's where this goes. And you know, first of all, congratulations to Goodrow. Like you talk about a guy who was, you know, really like on the fringes to now a, a twenty-four million dollar contract. Like I I love to see guys get rewarded like that. Do you remember what he did specifically? He turned down Okay, he turned down an American Hockey League contract from the Detroit Red Wings to go back and spend his overage year in junior with the battalion and Stan Butler. Mm-hmm. Took that team to the Ross Robertson Cup final, lost against a stacked Guelph Storm team. But I don't know many guys that turn down pro contracts to go back and play junior hockey and bet on themselves. Yeah. Because that's what he did. Goodrow bet on himself, 100%. I'm happy for him just personally. I think it's a great thing. I think those were the kinds of guys that were going to get rewarded this year. You know, Blake Coleman, I think he's going to get a big deal. I think Hyman's going to get a big deal. You know, I'm very curious to see what Yoel Armia gets. I think that was the kind of player that was going to get paid uh, really well here. So I'm not surprised. Like, honestly, I know there was a lot of shock when that got announced today. There were some people who said, that is way more than what they were expecting. I can honestly say on this one, it's kind of came in where I thought it was going to come in. Mm-hmm. And um, like the thing about Bushnevich is he's one more year, he's arbitration eligible, and you know next year he's a UFA. Teams I've heard that have kind of liked him at times, St. Louis, Nashville, I'm sure there's more. I know there was a rumor out there about like a Horvat for Bushnevich deal. I don't understand how that makes any sense for the Canucks. I can't see that at all. No way. Like I mentioned that to somebody in Vancouver and they like just the pure scorn at my suggestion (laughs) was very obvious, but I'll tell you this. I do think Buchnevich is going to be an interesting player. And I'll I'll tell you this. I think the next few days are going to be a little, might be a little goofy on Eichel too. Like I've heard some teams kind of, passing out and it, it's so tough to say this right now because there's so much bluffing the the greatest lesson isaiah thomas the first gm i ever covered was always telling me is at around the draft everybody lies but it sounds like anaheim's out it sounds like la's out it sounds like calgary's out you know it can always change with one phone call it can change i think minnesota's in there but I think Minnesota has to work with Buffalo or someone else to get a contract out. And I still wonder about the Rangers. Like, I really believe that Chris Drury is a stealth guy. I still wonder about all this. See, here's my question about Minnesota and Eichel. If you're Jack Eichel, I mean, how is Minnesota going to convince him to go there knowing this humongous cap hit, this dead cap space they have coming up in a couple of years? I understand all that, but if you're Jack Eichel and you're playing well, you can make a difference. 100% you can make a difference, but as far as recruiting goes, that's a tough one. You know, I, I, got, I got news for you. Like Jack Eichel, he wants a new start. Wherever mm. he goes, he's not going to be a problem. See, I can see Rangers all day long, and that's the one we've been talking about. Yeah. And that one still, to me, makes uh, the most sense. I'll tell you, with those, you know, some of those players that you mentioned, the more robust 
hockey players, whether it's, you know, Hyman, Goodrow, Coleman, these guys are getting paid this summer. Jaden Schwartz too. Like, uh, you know, I think Seattle likes him a lot. I heard Vancouver was in there. I heard Colorado was potentially in there. If they lost Landeskog, I heard LA was in there. And, you know, someone told me that, uh, don't be surprised if, uh, if uh, Schwartz is, ends up being Seattle's pick from St. Louis, it's possible. I would have figured Vince Dunn all day long. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, someone, maybe there's another deal there, but someone said to me that Schwartz in Seattle, there was some serious mutual interest. Hmm. The reason I bring up some of the more robust players is I was really curious, or maybe not curious, and maybe not even surprised. It was just something that. So basically, you're like just you, you said I was curious or wondering, but now you're not doing either. Like you're completely destroying your own theory. Yeah, pretty much. I'm just sort of uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm Pac-Manning myself here somehow. <laughs> I wonder about Nick Delorier, who was protected. The fact that he's protected leads me to believe that Nicholas Delorier is really valued around the NHL. And I talked to someone last week who said, "Don't be surprised." If Delorier gets Anaheim a first-round pick in return, well, first of all, I'm not going to say anything about Delorier because I butchered one at the deadline last year with him, and I heard he was quite thrown by it, and I I still get a sick feeling in the pit of my stomach when I think about it. You know, Pittsburgh was a team that liked him, but I think Anaheim does it for a reason, right? You know, I always come back to this conversation that you and I had about Ryan Reeves and your Ryan Reeves story about you have a Tom Wilson problem yeah. and I'm the solution to your Tom Wilson problem. Yes. You know, Ryan Reeves isn't the only solution to a Tom Wilson problem. Nicholas DeLaurier can be as well. And that's why I think he's a pretty valuable commodity, specifically in the East, for a team that plays the Capitals a lot and wants to get rid of their Tom Wilson problem. And they just signed Barkley Goodrow. That's what I wonder about. I think it's a really good question. Just some quickies I want to go over, Jeff, before the end of the podcast. Tarasenko, there were some rumors with Philly. You know, it makes sense, and I do think Philly was one of the teams that asked for Tarasenko's medicals, but I had someone kind of poo-poo me that today. So again, you know, we'll see where that goes, but I had someone who said they don't think Philly's the leader, but they definitely did request the information. You know, I really liked what Arizona did. They needed picks and they, they got picks, you know, on Aiden Hill, I heard that they set a standard, you know, it's really interesting. Like, um, Berkey told me once he didn't trade Mike Camilleri when Camilleri was a UFA in Calgary. And I said, why didn't you trade him? And he said, because I set a standard. And he says, if you, if you wait until the last minute and then you break your standard, people will always think they can outweigh you. And I heard Bill Armstrong, the GM in Arizona, he told teams Aiden Hill's second rounder. And what happened was he stuck with it and he got it. Like San Jose really liked Hill from when they played against him. I thought that was interesting, and I thought that was, you know, getting the lad for the picks. I think that was a good move for them. Carolina, they were in a bit of a standoff with Nedeljkovic. I definitely heard it, and I wrote it, that they may not qualify him. I got to think that's going to happen now. Mm-hmm. Gord, man, that's going to be an interesting one. I'm really curious to see what offer Seattle gets on Gord. You know whose name I, I've heard a little bit, maybe, is Klingberg in Dallas. Now that they got Haskin signed. 
Klingberg's one year from UFA. In that he might be available? Well, if Dallas doesn't think they can sign him, what are they going to do here? I think they've been asked about that. Right. You know, you've got Haskinen signed. You know, look at all their D. Klingberg one year for UFA. I think they're getting asked about him a little bit. The Larson one is interesting, too, in Edmonton. I wonder if Vancouver is going to be there. I'll tell you this, too. I think Vancouver, one of the centers they really liked mm-hmm. was uh, Nick Bjugstad. I think that's one of the guys they kind of looked around at. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they asked Seattle if they take him. But I think Seattle wants the goalie, Kakanen. This goes back to a couple of administrations ago, it seems like, in Vancouver. Remember the original Luongo deal with Florida and Bukestad was all over it? And that was the one that mm-hmm. Dale Talon never never wanted to let go of? Mm-hmm. Bukestad was the one guy that Florida kept hanging on to, kept hanging on to. They wanted to get Perot from Winnipeg. The ass back is Bukestad. Eh, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And the original Luongo deal, I'm pretty sure that Bukestad was the big piece going back the other way. There's always been something with Vancouver and Bukestad. That's an interesting one. I am curious about Yanni Gord as well. Here's what I'm interested about. Yanni Gord on the Tampa Bay Lightning is a third-line center. Can he play higher in the lineup is my question about Yanni Gord. We might find out. Well, that's what I wonder too. Like I remember my favorite conversation I ever had about you know places in the lineup was with Bobby Holik. I remember going to watch a junior game with Bobby, and I said, what was the difference between you and the, and the Devils and you and the Rangers? And he said... Uh, Bobby Holik playing with the New Jersey Devils. Uh, if I'm the third line center, we're going to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, if I'm your first line center, we're not going to win the Stanley Cup. That's the difference between me and the Devils and me with the New York Rangers. But that's what I wonder about with Yanni Gord. Like we have him locked into this idea of being a third line center, period, because that's where we've seen him have success. But you look at what's playing in front of him. And I don't know the answer whether Yanni Gord can play higher in the lineup just because he did so in the QMJHL and the American Hockey League doesn't necessarily mean he can do it at the NHL level. But that's a guy that I wonder about, that I look at if I'm in Seattle and I'm saying, okay, let's forget all the preconceived notions we have about Yanni Gord, where we always say great third line center. I wonder if he can play higher. I wonder if Yanni Gord can be a top six guy. Like, do you think that's the guy that Seattle grabs out of Tampa? Because if I'm Tampa, that's the guy that I'm taking. How can you not? Well, I mean, like, no Alex, offense. He's a center. Alex Kalorin's a really good hockey player. Man. Yeah, Kalorin's <laughs> a really good hockey player. No question about it. But <laughs> Gord's a center. I know. He's a center. And I, I again, I just wonder if he can play higher in the lineup. One final one here, because I had a conversation with someone that was pretty interesting the other day, and they raised an interesting comparable for him. And I think that it might even actually get higher. I was talking with someone the other day about Zach Hyman, who told me the belief is. Now, I can't recall whether he said starting point or whether this is a comparable and this is part of a negotiation, but he said, to me, it looks like the Zach Hyman contract will be the Josh Anderson contract. Do you believe that? Or could it be even higher? Now, just for our listeners, though, the Josh Anderson deal is seven years, 38.5, 5.5 AAV. Do you think that a Hyman deal can be bigger? Well, I think, look at what the Goodrow deal just was. Yeah, six years, 3.6. And don't you think that Hyman beats that? I do think that Hyman beats that. The only question is by how much. I've heard the Josh Anderson comparison too. I think it just matters how many teams are in on. You get a bidding war, 
mm-hmm. you're there. You get Edmonton, you get Calgary. Someone today told me Nashville. Nashville's going to do something. They clearly decided they needed to change their group, right? I don't think that they lose either of uh, the Shane or Johansson, though. No, I don't think they're getting claimed. At the expansion draft. This to me, you know, this to me has Kelly Yarncroak, Ironhook written all over it. <laughs> I think so, too. That would, that would be my expectation. But I, I think Nashville's going to do some things. I can't imagine that they didn't. I think they're going to try to re-sign Ekholm. I do think they're taking a run at that. I hadn't heard Hyman with Nashville, but I had heard Hyman potentially with the Rangers. They weren't getting him for six times 3.6. Right. So that tells me that he's coming in significantly higher. Mark Giordano, when you look at all of the picks that Seattle has in front of them, Mm -hmm. is this the easiest one to say, of course, that's who Seattle is taking? But is he staying there? Is the big question. Yeah. What do you think? I think teams are going to ask them. Can you flip them? So I lied. I want to end on this one, actually. See, Amal, I said 30 minutes, Amal. One more thing. We seem to think that the Seattle Kraken, because they've been told, Fran France has been told, he can spend up to the cap, that they're going to do that out of the gate. Mm -hmm. I don't know that they do. To me, this This feels like they hold money. they They hold room back for trade deadline. Well, I think also if they spend close to the cap this year, it still gives them flexibility in the future. You know, the one thing I'm really curious about is someone said to me with Seattle, they could make a Seth Jones deal if they wanted to. Now, that depends on Jones, but they could do it. Wow. Played junior in Portland. Sources say not that far. Not that far. Uh, One thing I want to mention as well. Make sure to check out Steve Dangle's live stream of the Expansion Draft Wednesday at Sportsnet's YouTube channel, 7.30 Eastern. Sorry, it's 7.35 Eastern. Watch Steve and Jesse Blake react to each Seattle Kraken Expansion Draft selection live. The link to the stream is in our show description. Elliot, before I throw to the tunes and play Nickel and Dime DJ here, is there anything that you think you've left out on this pod today, knowing that everything will change tomorrow? You know, I just want to say about Dangle, you see the Manning brothers, they announced a a new deal for a secondary viewing, an alternate viewing for games. You know, we're doing that with Dangle. We did that in the playoffs. Like, I just want to say congratulations to Steve. I know some people would think that, you know, maybe some of us who are on the regular broadcast wouldn't like that. I don't feel that way. Um, I feel that the more people who are watching Sportsnet on our various platforms, the better. And I, I think Steve deserves a lot of credit for creating something that people are interested in. So I just want to say congratulations to him. I got all day for Dangle and, and what he's been able to build and how he's built it and how he's controlled his career, really, and how he's done it seemingly from nothing other than an idea and the internet. Like, good on him, man. He is a great yep. Canadian sports media success story. Steve, congrats. Each step is moving, it's moving me up Moving, it's moving me up Every step is moving me up Taking us out as a trained cellist, composer, songwriter, and producer with a background in Indian classical music. 
Arthur Russell was never one to settle into one genre, experimenting with classical, electronic, and rock. But through his exploration, it inspired his unique sound and a number of off-the-wall collaborations. Here's one of the greats, Arthur Russell, with This Is How We Walk on the Moon on 31 Thoughts, the podcast. Enjoy. Every step is moving me up Each step is moving Moving me up Moving me up One tiny, tiny, tiny move uh, It's all I need to jump over Every step is moving me up 